No, Professor Tweedletam doesn't know anything about stone to flesh. Welcome back to House of Bards. Uh, this is, I want to say, like a week, maybe a week and a half from our last episode. Yeah. I don't know how long it's going to take me to edit this, but uh, definitely we're recording um, on the Friday of the week after the last time we recorded. So, yeah, you know, it's it's good. We're, we're trying to get back into a, a reasonable schedule. Yeah. Um, so you may remember then, uh, it being one hopes recent, that uh, at the end of, of last episode, which was about getting started role-playing on a budget, uh, Beth suggested that we talk about uh, where, when you're a, a new DM um, and you're wanting to make up your own scenarios, the, the, um, for, uh, the, the, the first one that you come up with, uh, really, uh, that, that we, we should talk about you know, how to do that. And I thought, that's a very good idea. And yeah, that should mm. be our next episode because you know that's kind of one of the the daunting things about the whole you know the whole experience is uh, you're like well how do I actually get started especially if I'm in what is ostensibly the uh, the organising position <clears throat> yeah so um, I I guess we could talk about um, our own first scenarios mm. like that yeah, we did in I our campaigns and then I think first it's a good idea to define what is a scenario in terms of Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, I guess, yeah. Yeah, like just from what the exact thing we're talking about, because we're not talking about a campaign here, which is ideally a bunch of scenarios strewn together. Well, I mean, ideally you know? a campaign yeah. like doesn't show its scenes. No, like, but it, 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 it will do. Have like <laughs> scenarios yeah. because like everything yeah. will like lead into everything else. Mm. But yeah. Generally, when you start, you're going to have a defined scenario, which is generally like a uh, in like video games, uh, a, qu yeah. a quest would be mm. a scenario, provided yeah. you did that quest without like in the middle going off and doing something else. Like if you did the whole thing yeah. from start to finish, that would be a scenario. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. Maybe if there were like multiple quests in the same place at the same time, uh, then like doing all of those together that could be a scenario but ultimately yeah. like a scenario is a story that uh, you and, and your players are telling together set in roughly the same place at roughly the mm. same time um with the intent of, of doing an objective and usually though mm. not always um you are going to want your first scenario at least to be about one session long yeah maybe two which it it doesn't always work out that way like no mine didn't no, what was I can't even God, I can't even remember my first scenario. We'll talk about your first because since since you can right, remember, yeah, well, I, I try to remember, remember what, what we did is. first yeah. in mind. So, yeah. um, my first scenario, which I <laughs> it's real funny. Like I wrote the whole thing out and like printed it up, and I was like, okay, this is a self-contained thing. Like this, this is the 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 first dawn somber scenario. I don't believe I've ever written a non-dawn somber scenario. I mean, actually, technically, I've written one scenario for Call of Cthulhu that was, like, set in the real world in Russia in, like, the 1980s. But for D&D, &D, I don't believe, like... Because 
having this setting is a lot of work, and I, I want to put all of my work writing scenarios into it. Mm. But originally, um, there was no Dawn Song, but there was just this scenario. And this scenario uh, was called the... Uh, oh, shit, what was it called? Uh, Prison of Pits. No, uh, Prison of Pits. No. Prison of Pits Splinter is chronologically the first scenario in the campaign, but it's not the first one I made. Uh, that oh. one actually came, like, a while later. It was... Um, the Lonely Cavern, that's it. Oh, yeah. So, The Lonely Cavern is about uh, the island, the the Isle of Bells, I called it. And the reason I went with an island to begin with, and I think this is probably our first piece of advice, is ideally, if you think that your, um, the, the first scenario that you make, it might be able to, like, spin off to a, like, a, a full campaign... Um, you want that first scenario to have very little baggage, like very little establishing lore and stuff that you have to figure out for it. So an island or any other like secluded setting that's separate from the rest of the uh, the setting by default means you have to spend less time retconning things later just because you'll be like, okay, well, not a lot effect from the outside world affects this particular place and what's going on with it. So that uh, I, I knew that at the time, and that's why I, I chose an island as the setting. Um, so in in that scenario, uh, the players um, come to the island, and I remember saying in the scenario that they were traveling from the uh, kingdom of Varash to the Republic of Meslin. But those were just names. Like I, I at the time, I had no idea what what that might mean, where those places were. Or, or what was there, I was just like, okay, you're traveling to a place, from a place, and you stop off in this on this island. And I was like, okay, so something needs to happen on this island. And uh, I'm not under illusions, by the way, that this scenario was good. I don't think mm. it was. I think for the level of the player characters, it was a ridiculously overdramatic setting with a ridiculously overpowered villain. But it was my first one, and to be honest... Your first one is very likely to be that. I'm sorry, it's just going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. So, so uh, what happens is the, uh, the 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 main town on uh, the Isle of Bells is called Seventeen because on the Isle of Bells they have this thing where they're like, we have to build a huge number of of bells all over the the island, and seventeen of them, when humans first came to this to the island. Uh, were visible from this town, so the town is called Seventeen, and uh, you know they they land there, and and there's a bit of exploring that they can do if they wish, and then they get asked by a, a member of the guard in the town to go and investigate what's happened to a man called Godfro, who has gone out to the barrows of the elven hero Isterin, and you know to to investigate archaeologically because that is the sort of thing that he does and mm -hmm. he has not come back oh no so like but but also that he's not like um sent word via his uh his messenger pigeon either i uh, yeah so they're like we're we're concerned about what's happened to godfro and if you could go and investigate we'd be very uh very pleased so the party go to investigate and there's like an interim bit where they can encounter a bear if they wish because i thought yeah you know you know pad it out a little bit and when they get to the barrow they find this little hut that uh, that godfro um was uh was living in with his bird still in its cage and it's like 
Todoro's not here, and he evidently hasn't been here for a number of days. Mm-hmm. So, naturally, the next investiga- investigatory step is to go inside the barrow, and inside they find the uh, the, the um, corpses of Isterin and her uh, shield-bearer Ardskull, mm-hmm. who I would later make, like, repeatedly turn up in the uh, the law elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And also Godfro, who is being uh, ha- having his actions controlled by his clothing, which has turned into a monster from second edition called a ragamuffin. Because I was like, I can make these things less stupid than they are <laughs> currently. I like I like the rag I like the ragamuffin because I, I feel like I liked like your the, ragamuffin. The, the ragamuffin, as as written, is just like just a low level monster that is made out of like scraps of clothing. It's supposed to be yeah. like a, a a dervish of cloth and leather that attacks people, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that's kind of kind of bad. Yeah. But it's more scary if your clothing turns into a ragamuffin while you are wearing it. That's yeah. So like that that was the uh, the thing that um, had had happened to to Godfro, um, and if the party managed to save him, uh, which. In I think in both cases they did. They find that he um, he he has actually been driven completely insane mm. by something Aww. that has has happened. So he's not really of any particular help, even if he can be rescued. Oh, so all this time I felt guilty for killing him, and it turns out that it it wouldn't have helped. It. I mean, not that you should kill people who were mentally ill, but like <laughs> in, in terms of like it... helping the story along, no, it wouldn't have done. Okay. That that's that makes me feel a little bit better than I guess. Yeah, I forgot you guys killed him. Yeah, just straight up murdered him, gangster style. Um, but a little more investigation from where he came from shows a uh, tunnel uh, down into the uh, the the crest of the hill that the barrow is built on. So the party go down because oh, because they are actually prevented from leaving at this point by a storm that hits the island. I say prevented from leaving. You can technically leave if you want to, but it's very dangerous and very arduous. Uh, so it's meant to discourage the party from leaving more than anything. And uh, of course, it goes without saying, uh, those of you who know how these sort of things work, that this is not a natural storm. Like, there's definitely something that does not want the party to leave. So the uh, the party go down the, down the tunnel and find their way into a set of uh, caverns and tunnels that are full of glowing... Um, crystals um and i actually like lifted this environment almost completely from the crystal caverns in dear esther so if you've played that um you remember that bit like that's the sort of thing that i was thinking of when i designed this bit and uh there's there's a couple of like encounters with weird like um trying to think what the best way of describing this is uh if you know the arthur conan doyle story the blue john gap um it's that kind of like um sort of, you know, uh, creatures that have sort of, like, evolved into horrifying forms down in the darkness. Um, So there's, like, a weird, blind, um, furry version of a bugbear, and there's creatures called elf once, which are, uh, I think, if the party, like, tries to figure it out, they'll realise are actually, like, um, Isterin's uh, old legion who uh, she sacrificed in order to save a uh, sinking city, who were buried under the ground and have been kept alive and have like slowly turned into these weird like goblin-type things. Uh, kind of like the Falmer from Skyrim. 
uh, they all like have sort of um, uh, symbiotic relationships with their clothing, which are all ragamuffins, and uh, they like hunt as packs and gibber to themselves. And there's also skeletons down there, which fight the elf ones, and uh, are um, like they're they're the um, not 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 shield bearers. Our school's the shield bearer, but they're they're high-ranking um, servants of Isterin who were buried with her uh, as protectors. And I think in your case, because um, Jay is a descendant of Ardskull, they, like, bowed to them and were like, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's good to see what are your orders. And so um, definitely for the uh, final fight in the scenario, the help of these skeletons can be enlisted. There's a Medusa, I think, a blind one. Mm. Um, oh yeah, somewhere down there, just to uh, mm. you know make it interesting, but like make her largely uh, less less powerful. Because a Medusa is quite a uh, quite a, a strong enemy. Because this is for level three characters, by the way. Yeah. Which is kind of why I think it's it's uh, it's a pretty stupid scenario, <laughs> just because it's <laughs> it's so so ostentatious and overpowered for for what it is. But eventually, when they get to the bottom of the cavern, what they find is a like a giant cave with a huge hole down into the earth in it and a elf skeleton on a pillar in the middle of the hole. And the thing about the cave is that the cave itself contains a presence which is like the last echoing remnant of the old gods. Um, and that was like the first introduction of the concept of the uh, the old gods and the old magic um, to the, to the setting because I wanted there to be like um, something kind of primal in mm. in, uh, in in the setting uh, and that grew into a bigger thing in, in later scenarios. So the party try to leave because this is scary and this thing like is trying to compel them to jump down the hole and and stuff like that because it's the aspect of despair. And if they get out, they can run back to the town, and then a uh, a creature. In the wiki, I call it the deep despair, but it's never explicitly named in the scenario. It's just like a giant. Um... If you've ever seen the the art for the magic card Crater Hoof Behemoth, it's uh, kind uh-huh. of like that. It's just like this enormous sort of shapeless um, amphibian-like monster that just comes out of the ground and uh, attacks seventeen as the party get back. And from there, the party have to escort this uh, this group of of like really elderly um, uh, mages to yes. to the uh, the old magic protected <laughs> clock tower in seventeen, so that they can um, banish this thing. Because I was like, obviously, I can't have the party save the day by fighting this like servant of the old gods. So naturally, they need to be able to do something that obviously is helping, so the party feel like heroic, but isn't like actually taking the threat head on uh which is probably the point where i should have reeled my neck in and thought this is a really stupid scenario for third level characters but uh-huh. you know I, I think having instead like a, an escort mission because like loads of elf ones attack uh 17 as well so like the, yeah. the last bit is like getting into the clock tower with these mages and fighting the elf ones and the more of the mages die the more waves of elf ones you have to protect the rest of them from until the uh, uh-huh. the spell is ready yeah. So there's actually, I don't know if I still have the document, but there are like uh, rules for how long it takes. Like, there's definitely a fail state, we'll say, for this. Yeah. Which, for I think for later stuff, I'm like, 
I, I sort of winged more. I'd be like, technically, there's a fail state because I could just like say, fuck it. That's uh -huh. the, you, you did too bad. But no, there's an explicit <laughs> fail state in the text of the scenario, which is that if, um, I think it's, if all the mages die, or if the party took too long getting the remaining mages to the tower, um, the Deep Despair breaks through the walls, smashes the clock tower down, and uh, everybody just falls into the sea and dies. I don't think any of our mages died in our... I don't think they did, no. I say they die, but it actually like lists um, falling damage that they take from falling like off the cliff that the bell tower is on and into the uh, the town. So technically you possibly could survive if you rolled really well, uh, but then you've got the problem that there's no way of banishing the deep despair, so you have to like rush onto a boat and escape. It would be a very yeah. different campaign if that happened. Yeah, that, that's literally... That's literally um in a weird roundabout way. It's the start of Mass Effect 3. It kind of is. Where Earth just gets destroyed and then you basically have to go around, no, you don't understand, there's a horrible monster coming and I need to, like, unify you all to fight against it. Why aren't you listening to me? It's funny because, like, later in the campaign, um, you get this point where when you're in Meslin, you find that there are refugees from both Varash and the Elven Empire coming. And it would be funny if, like, there were a, a scenario where... Like, first, there were just loads of refugees coming from, like, the destroyed yeah. Isle of Bells. Yeah. I, I think um, there's, there's there's an AU fanfic in there somewhere. There's an AU scenario. Oh, definitely. Like, it would, be, it would be cool if there were, like, an AU where, like, everything went wrong. You could even do it just, like... Because um, later on, I made uh, The Prisoner Pit Splinter, which I think is a much better starring, starting scenario. Yeah. And I could have made it that just um, The Prisoner of Pit Splinter blew up and yeah. all the people who were supposed to be the um the protagonists just died and yeah. never existed and then it could be like uh it could be like i forget which uh batman world it is and i imagine it probably doesn't matter because i think since this story that's probably been rebooted a bunch of times but like the one where there aren't any um like heroes like there aren't any superheroes but also there's like no robin hood or anything like that i don't remember no. <laughs> I, I I just remember that like being a plot that um, Batman gets taken to this world to like try and prevent his parents' death in it, and at one point Robin tries to stop him because he was like, "No, if you do that, there won't ever be a Batman, and lots of people will die and get robbed and shit." Yeah. But it. Uh, yeah, there's definitely probably been a story like that. But it, like... it turns out that like the young Bruce Wayne seeing his parents being saved by. World One Batman turns into Batman anyway because he's inspired by that, so it all works out. Oh, in the end. that's all worked out, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it could be like that, and then just like everything goes wrong, or like um, turn left. The uh, turn left. Oh, yeah, that's the, that's my favorite. That you know, that is my favorite episode of Doctor Who. It, it's a pretty good episode. Yeah. Yeah, just because I guess I'm super into the idea of like fiction where everything's the same but everything went wrong, mm. and I just I. I just really like that idea in in fact like we ha let's have an episode where we explore what happened if this one event hadn't happened mm. and from that one event everything had just went tits up. I love that shit. I live for it. I guess uh we'll lead on to my first scenario which was for two earth. Mm -hmm. And I actually found the old notes and I do remember it now because you went to that tavern, didn't you? You'd, you know, I said, you've all been called to this tavern for a reason. Mm -hmm. So I, that was like my setup. Uh, a brief for... aside, like, was this your first ever scenario or just the it first was... one for Tua? 
it oh, was wait, my so, first so you, level. you'd never DM'd before? I'd never DM'd before. Oh, I did too well. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Um, and I think I got better as we went on, really. Um, like, I think that that's, I think I really hit my stride about, like, uh, when did I hit my stride? I think I hit my stride around the train stuff. The train stuff was, was pretty good, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd like, if I had the, I'd like to, if I had the opportunity, I'd like to redo it a bit neater, but other than that, mm. um, I like that one. I, I definitely I think, like, think... Your, your, your first scenario, if I remember it correctly, was actually reasonably uh, competent. Yeah, but, no, but it go wasn't, on, it and, wasn't and we'll bad. see if it's, like, yeah. what I remember. And I remember the dungeon was an abandoned shop and it had belonged to Lucian Bartello. Oh, this is what I remember, yeah. Yeah, and Lady Eleanor had, had sent you there after a bit of, like, I don't know, RPN character action. Which was... Um, really good actually because i think it let us like lay out who our characters were at the start yeah and in fairness all right um matt has changed characters since because yeah. he he really didn't like his his previous character but which is yeah you know it it, it was good because it was like you know asriel was like i don't know who any of these people are and i don't like that this woman is being like <laughs> yeah. weirdly sexually aggressive to me mm. And I'm just going to pretend that I'm very grumpy and I'm not connected to anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, like, and, you know, the others, yeah. like, I think Volanthe was like, I'll do this because I'm valiant, you know? Yeah. But I don't know why I have to work with these chumps because I don't trust any of them. Uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, it was, it was some pretty standard stuff. There was some, like, character establishment moments. And you were basically investigating the shop. You went downstairs and you found that there was some a monsters i think like a mutated bandit and a mutated mastiff which i don't think i ever elaborated on ever again like it was my first scenario and i was putting in little things here and there that were going to get pulled back on later and some of them did some of them didn't and i think you went down into the basement and you rescued a man who had been tied up mm. um, now am i remembering this wrong or did the mm. uh the the dogs and the the man have like no faces like the um, that's true no face like yeah the, no the, face. the, the, the uh, ash schools from morrowind where they just have like yeah. the whole eye section is just scooped out of their head yeah pretty much yeah just like all like um i think i i think i described it like you remember that one episode of doctor who set in the 1950s where the like like that oh okay well, that's different but yeah yeah okay um you know just like gone basically everything was gone um and then i think he went and then there was some like there was a book written in silver and then there was some a, like a chest with a jar of eyes and preserved body parts so you know setting up the oh this guy likes to sew people back together mm-hmm. um yeah um and then i think i just set up some stuff with oh this and that and stuff and you know it was a pretty bit like a basic setup as far as things go like leading on to we have to kill this guy he's a bad dude Hmm. Um, and then basically this was just me saying, okay, well, I need to get everyone up to a certain level before they can, like, fight the, like, Frankenstein monster, before, you know, before they can do this and that, which basically just led on to a bunch of other really weird scenarios. It was like a thing on a train. There was a detour in the Fairwild. Um. Yeah. That kind of shit, basically. <laughs> but it was, you know... It wasn't. So I, I'd say the common thread between the two of these then is that for your first scenario, you don't want to have like a huge amount of setting backstory, probably. Yeah. But you do want to be like throwing in stuff that makes a certain amount of sense where it is, but allows yeah. you to 
to to build build it up to something else um, later on, if you so wish. And not all of the things you put in are going to have that happen to them, but you want to have enough of those things that you have stuff to use. Yeah. Like, and- when I came to write my second scenario, I was like, okay, so the party were travelling to um, Tarn, the capital of Mestlin. What's that? Like, what's that yeah. like? Yeah. And that was kind of good, because I wanted to write, like, a city-centred um, thing. Yeah. Anyway. I think it, yeah, it's it's pretty, like, writing a scenario should be, okay, you need the setup. What are they going to do? Why are they going to go do it? You know? Yeah. Are they going to go fight someone? Are they looking for something? You know, is it treasure they're looking for? Are they looking for a magical MacGuffin? You know? Mm-hmm. Are they looking for a person? Why are they looking for this person? Do they need to fight this person? Yeah. Um, is it a missing person who they need to find? Um, you know, and then what did they then when they get to the place where they're going, what is it? Is it a dungeon? Is it um yeah. more of an investigatory area? You know, what what are they doing when they get there? And I mean, obviously, you know? like that is going to depend on what kind of system you're running as well. Yeah. Like, obviously, obviously yeah. any most systems you could in theory have any of those but for instance um in call of cthulhu you're probably more likely to have an investigatory scenario dungeons and dragons is probably going to more likely have like a dungeon crawly combat-y kind of thing um uh, i guess if you were playing blades in the dark it's probably going to be like a stealth kind of uh deal you know that sort of thing yeah uh traveler could be any one of those And, and yeah indeed i've seen all of them done yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, with mine, I think mine was more of an investigatory thing. Yeah. Because at that point, I didn't have the monster manual, so I was like, I don't really know how much XP these are supposed to be each, so I don't want to throw a lot of enemies at them, but I wanted the enemies to be, like, weird and freaky enough that you're like, what the hell's going on here? Which, you know, a man without a face, generally... Mm, yeah. You know, so, you know, but yeah, when they get there, what are they going to do? How are they going to do it? What, you know, what type of, you know... Thing are you looking to create here um and then of course you have like the end you know what do they find when they get there do they succeed do they fail yeah you know did they find the treasure did they find the macguffin is the person missing are they dead do they then have to deal with that or are they alive and well and is it okay you know um, and pretty much all scenarios like that do follow that template you have the setup you have the middle and then you have the end you have the wrap down the conclusion it's, uh, yeah the conclusion it's like any type of storytelling basically except you're motivating people to do something you are encouraging them to find something and then you are encouraging them to go okay well where do we go from here is essentially now what you're doing (laughs) if you're a first time dm most players who aren't assholes are going to like probably accept that and try to gear down um fucking with you basically mm. just yeah, because yeah. They, they know that if you've just like written your first scenario and you want to run it you probably don't have a huge amount of idea what to do if the characters just outright reject what you're trying to get them to do yeah so yeah. you can probably railroad a little more than might otherwise be considered entirely polite to do in your first yeah. scenario so long as that's an understanding that's made yeah. and that's probably fine there's nothing wrong with being patient with new people even if they are mm. new dms yeah you know yeah i mean i know i'm quite i guess i am quite a railroady dm anywhere um uh, i mean <laughs> i feel like we don't really notice just because a lot yeah. of the time we end up wanting to do the thing that you're railroading us to do anyway yeah like you <laughs> I, there's a lot of like 
you can railroad as a DM, and the longer you do it, the better you'll get doing it quietly. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just by suggesting you do this thing. It's like, if you want your characters to do one thing before they do another thing, try making the thing you want them to do more more interesting or more convenient for them to do first. Mm. Essentially, just 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 mani- like subtly manipulate the people around you into doing what you want them to do, and they'll do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean that that it, advice. That's I don't know if that's good advice in real life, but um, there you go. Yeah, well. I don't think it is, but in this case, like no. you kind of have to tr- strike a balance as a DM yeah. between like letting your players have free reign and yeah. not having your players constantly butt up against the edges of what you have prepared. Yeah, because it's one thing to improvise as a DM; it's another thing to like just be making shit up as you go completely, just because they refuse to go with anything that you've prepared at all. Yeah, yeah, it's like. Um... There was, you know, like, and you can't, like, even if you're railroading quite, you can't, you will never be able to predict what your players are going to do anyway. There was that one scenario in the mountains where you decided to lead the harpies into the orc camp. Mm. And I was like, shit, where do we go from here? And I was like, okay, well, I, we talked about this in the improv a bit, the, the scenario with the mountains and stuff like that, but you just have to think realistically, okay, well, what would any reasonable community of people do in that situation, you know? Um, and I, like I was like, I don't have any of the stats for these characters prepared. I don't, I don't know what what these orcs could do and what they can't do. So I just had to sort of like you know, you just got to sort of throw everything into it. But it was a nice moment because it was a moment of creativity from Alex that I appreciated and stuff like that. But yeah, that's it. Also, more like gave into it, you, you know. an opportunity to try and like bring a um, a, a personal arc to an end mm. in, a, in a creative way because like what happened then yeah. is the uh, the orcs find out that Asriel is a werewolf they put Asriel yeah. on trial Asriel is like I don't particularly give a shit what you're, what you're going to do to me because at the moment I'm like having a personal crisis that the god of fate mm. exists yeah um, because I've been like willfully misinformed about what he actually stands for and how much control he has over my life yeah so essentially, I don't believe in the concept of free will anymore. Yeah. So I don't really care yeah. about the consequences of my actions at the moment. Yeah, and, and I was like, at first, I was like, okay, this is an interesting character trait for Asriel to have, and then I was like, okay, he he has to sort of stop doing yeah. shit like this. This is an incredibly <laughs> destructive character trait for Asriel to have. Yeah. And until like, it gets like, resolved, it's probably not going to be dealt with. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that's that's just right. So. I basically then went right. Let's just put the whole campaign on pause to deal with Azriel shit. And <laughs> so, but you had supposed- you, you had yeah. the God of Fate actually turn up, and I was like, okay, yeah. if she's gonna pull this, like Azriel's gonna transform and attack him. Yeah, because he's been saying all this time. He's like been putting on a, a, a you know bravado, saying I'm gonna kill the God of Fate if ever I, I find him, which is ambitious. Yeah, but then yeah. it's like now you got to put your money where your mouth is, and Ashley was like, "Well, shit, literally can't get worse for me because I'm on trial to be executed." So yeah. fuck this guy. Yeah, and then and then the god of fear is like, "Chill." Yeah, chill, <laughs> chill the fuck out. You were you were misinformed about like what my deal is. It's, yeah, it, it's fine. Don't worry. Yeah, don't, yeah, I'm not mad. I just I just wanted to clear a few things up. Yeah. Um. And like I, th- I think I made the group go to, like a temple to be like, look, can you like help our friend deal with this thing? 
Mm. And the god god of it was like, uh, no problem, yeah, sure, buddy. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll go help. <laughs> I'll go help. <laughs> so it, it's, it's... I kind of want to get on to um, what the plan is for, for this episode. Yeah. Which is that <laughs> together we come up with an idea for a campaign starting scenario. Okay. And uh, we just lay out a skeleton for it. So ideally, we want this scenario to be for level one characters. Mm. Ideally, yeah. Yeah, I mean, mine wasn't. Although I later went back and made like a prequel scenario that then became mm. the start of the campaign. So mm. yeah, yeah. Um, I think where I think where I always go from is if it, if this is going to be for level one players and you are taking their level into account, that assumes you're not. This isn't going to be an investigating one. This isn't going to be like a looking for something one. This is going to be something where you fight something. I think. So then, I think um, if Elaine, if we can bring Elaine back, yeah, uh, is going to DM for people who've never played before, and they're going to play D and D. She probably wants to make a combaty scenario, and probably one that incorporates a dungeon crawl, just because it's traditional. Mm. Yeah, I know we're a podcast about like the shared narrative method. Um, you can springboard into the shared narrative method from this kind of thing. There's nothing particularly... Now, I should mention something you can do, and uh, I've seen a couple of people um, in the uh, the tabletop role-playing sphere mention this, including um, Spoonie of uh, Counter Monkey fame, amongst other things, uh, mention this, is you can take a pre-made scenario and then run that as the like starting point for your campaign. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we're a podcast about creativity, and also I don't know how I would do that. So yeah, I mean, I'd like to point out right now. Um, we've talked about the adventure zone on the previous podcast. Here be go- here there be goblins. That whole first like arc scenario thing. That's a, that is a pre-made scenario. I'm not sure which one it's pre-made from, but it is pre-made. Um, um we 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 actually haven't. We, we talked about uh, other uh, Master stuff, but we didn't talk about the Adventure right. Zone. Right, okay. Well, in the Adventure Zone, here there be goblins, that's all a pre-made scenario. And then he links it in with the other stuff pretty easily. Like, it's... If you can find a plot hook to link it into your campaign with a pre-made scenario, that's good enough. You know, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with... Starbot is fine. That's fine. You Yeah. If you can't come yeah. up with your own scenario, Starbot is fine. Starbot is fine. Um, now, um... Uh, excuse the noises, because I am just looking through something. You probably, before you start, want to, like, um, see what resources are available to you. And this is where it can be helpful to have all the books. Yeah. Because I think, I personally, whenever I'm inventing a scenario, I like to look through the monster manual first, just to sort of see what I could kind of throw at my players. Like... You know, if, and if you're like your players are level one, generally they can handle anything up to. Consider, hopefully, there's four of them. They can handle anything from anything under a challenge rating one up to a challenge rating two. Yeah. But a challenge rating two thing is going to be something a bit more challenging. A challenge rating require... two thing is probably going to be your boss. You yeah. can run a challenge rating three thing as a boss, provided you have like some cheesy way of killing it or defeating yeah. it. Other ways. Um, but this can be where the, the Dungeon Master's Guide is helpful because the Dungeon Master's Guide actually has a list of all monsters in the monster manual um, mm. sorted by challenge rating and by environment in the mm. back of it. Oh, oh. I've, I found one that I like, I think that could be our boss for this scenario, the Basilisk, I think. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Because I've I've never I've never used a basilisk. Uh, I've always wanted to use one, but it's a bit <laughs> too weak for you guys to fight now. But um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, if you don't have the dungeon master's guide, you can also use. Uh, I've recommended this um, resource on the podcast before. Uh, Donjon.bin. Mm -hmm. uh, which actually has a tool that will allow you to look up monsters based on challenge rating, environment, tags, type, um, whether it's from the monster manual or a later book, and mm. a couple of other things, I think. So it's really, really helpful. Mm. In fact, I would say, actually, that aside from the convenience of, like, grabbing the book if it's near you and just looking in the back, um, it's probably actually more convenient than, uh, than the lists in the back of the uh, Dungeon Master's Guide. Mm. Although it does use them, um, so yeah, all right. Let's 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 say at the end of this scenario, um, yeah. the players are going to have to fight a basilisk. So let me look through yeah. the monster manual to where you've found a basilisk. Page twenty-four. Nice. <laughs> That's a bit too far. Here we go. Immediately, I'm I'm happy about this as well because if um, mm. Elaine has the monster manual. Then yeah. she can describe the basilisk, and if you look at the uh, the image in the monster manual, yeah. um, the basilisk like this looks like a boss monster. Yeah, it's it's medium size, which means it's mm. not like huge, but no. it's big enough that like it can properly intimidate people. Uh, it's got like eight legs. It's covered in spines, and it has huge teeth. Like it's a monster. Yeah. So this is a pretty prototypical thing for um, the uh, the party to fight. Mm. So uh, we look at it. And we see it's challenge level three. Um, it has now it it has eight d eight plus sixteen hit points, which averages out to fifty two. If Elaine wanted to make this like a beatable boss monster for um, uh, for for a level one party, she probably wants to lowball that a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe roll the uh, the hit dice a couple of times and then pick a low amount. Yeah. It also has an ability called petrifying gaze. If a creature starts mm. its turn within 30 feet of the basilisk and the two of them can see each other, the basilisk can force the creature to make a DC 12 constitution saving throw if the basilisk isn't incapacitated. On mm. a failed save, the creature magically begins to turn to stone and is restrained. It must repeat the saving throw at the end of its next turn. On a success, the effect ends. On a failure, the creature is petrified until freed by the greater restoration spell of a magic. A creature that isn't surprised can avert its eyes to avoid the saving throw at the start of its turn. If it does so, it can't see the basilisk until the start of its next turn, when it can avert its eyes again. If it looks at the basilisk in the meantime, it must immediately make the save. If the basilisk sees its reflection within 30 feet of it in bright light, it mistakes itself for a rival and targets itself with its gaze. So, so I'm thinking... I'm Mm -hmm. That um, with that ability in mind, yeah. possibly if the players know in this scenario that they're going to fight a basilisk, that some of the scenario should be devoted to um, obtaining equipment for fighting the basilisk. Yeah, I think right. Okay, I'm immediately thinking Hall of Mirrors. I think I think mirrors definitely I should be involved. I think the setting for this scenario should be an abandoned theme park. That the, the the basilisk has cleared out. The basilisk has been released into this like sort of temporary, you know, fair fair area. And a thing to do would be to lure the lure the basilisk into the hall of mirrors. Surely. I I, I like where you're going with that. I think. Yeah. But I yeah. feel no, I feel yeah. like uh, a hall of mirrors is too on the nose. It's kind of handing it to the players yeah. too easily. Mm. I think mm. the idea that. Um, there should be a way to cheese the basilisk 
and yeah. it should require the uh, the players to be like a little bit creative. Um, mm. I think I I like I do also like the idea of the basilisk having driven people out of an area and like have turned some of them to stone. So you get kind of like this sort of like horrifying like garden of statues of people who've been um, petrified. Oh, absolutely, you know? absolutely, yeah. And you know, I th- I think it should be like a, a town or something mm. um, that the players need to travel well, to I mean, or have been traveling to. I have an idea though uh, of of how we could maybe take this in a different direction, and I'm just looking through to see if it's um, possible because the monster that I want to use I can't actually remember um, what challenge rating it is Are we looking for something reflective? Uh, No, actually, well, sort of Ah, here we go, oozes Gelatinous cube Yeah This is a challenge rating 2 monster which means that it's a good Ah. uh, it's a good, like, mini boss, I think Yeah, I think, yeah And the thing about gelatinous cubes is I don't know that it's actually mentioned anywhere here but um, the way that I've always had um, DMs play it, the way I play it myself, is mm. that um, when gelatinous cubes live in um, areas where the environment is composed mostly of metal or stone or, ah. like, um, I guess, like hard organic material like coral, um, yeah. over time, the movement of the, of the gelatinous cube... Um, and other kind of oozes, but those tend to like leave residue. Uh, the, the movement of the cube um, smooths out the floor uh, and mm. the walls and, ah, and yeah. makes them smooth and shiny, and in the case of some materials, reflective. Ah, so what we, I like where you're going with what this. What we could yeah. have is um, we could have like uh, a Chekhov's gun scenario where yeah. early on. We introduce the concept of a part of the environment that has been rendered smooth and reflective to to yeah. the players, and then make them fight this gelatinous cube. And then later, mm. when they fight a basilisk, they could be like, "Oh, we need something <gasps> reflective. Yeah. We can lure it into this room with all of the reflective mm. like floors and, and walls and whatnot." Mm. I think I think a good way, like, because they may just start swinging at this basilisk, is my concern. Mm. I, I want to kind of maybe give the basilisk armor of some sort. Mm-hmm like a little armor outfit and they have to run away from the basilisk a bit like i want a bit of like a, a chase scenario if they need to get it to this reflective room i want them to be able to set that up mm. pretty easily you know it should be implied that this is something that you are allowed to do oh to, yeah to definitely. lure this basilisk where you need it to be new players often run into like the the problem where they worry that it's not allowed to like cheese bosses yeah. this yeah. way yeah so hmm. something that i think a lot of games are very good at is um explaining the concept of a threat to a player before the player yeah. has to explicitly deal with that threat. Um, mm. There's a very good episode of uh, Aaron Hansen's Sequelitis about Mega Man X about this. Yeah. Uh, and you can also notice it in Shovel Knight, which is one of my favorite games, that a lot mm. of the times the, um, the enemies that you encounter, you will be able to see what they do and why they're dangerous before you ever have to interact with them. So I feel yeah. like maybe like a scene where the players can see the basilisk, but the basilisk can't see the players, and the players like watch um, the basilisk like turn somebody to stone or some shit. Yeah. Like that. That might be helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Like uh, and yeah, I know what you mean. Like um, like uh, they they walk. They're hidden from them. So, like they're hidden from the basilisk's view somehow, mm. and they see like a bunch of people run by, like screaming in terror. 
And but before they could go out and help them, the basilisk just goes ah and tears t- turns them all into stone, and then like storms off somewhere. Mm. Mm. Yeah, something of that sort. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So we've already got like two encounters because we want the uh, the giant giant cube and we want the basilisk. And, Absolutely. Um, hmm. But we also want people to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm trying to think like what. I feel like maybe this environment should be like a, a a castle or a fort of some sort because that gives us a wizard. Hang on, a wizarding school just to get the obligatory Harry Potter reference in there. That actually works quite a, well, a, yeah. A tower of wizards, yes. Because that gives you like free reign to be like, yeah, there's a whole load of weird shit here for no particular reason because wizards like to experiment. Yeah. So the gelatinous cube is in, like, a room where they've been, like, I don't know, throwing stuff in it to see, like, what reaction they get from the gelatinous cube. Yeah, and then um, when the uh, the basilisk ter- came by and turned everyone to stone, because it had no keepers, the, the gelatinous yeah. cube got out. Yeah, and it's, like, I don't know, terrorising the, I don't know, like, the menagerie or whatever, and it's just been, like, eating... Hmm. <laughs> All of that. It's It got into the owlery. It's eating all the owls. And the best thing about that is that wizards, in a lot of settings, yeah. tend to be uh, ostentatious with their architecture because, of course, they yeah. can make things with magic. So we can say yeah. that the wizard school is primarily... Uh, like, like, a lot of its rooms have um, yeah. marble linings. Yes. So we can introduce... It's exactly what I was going to say, yeah. We initially introduce the concept of marble, and then when they get to the room with the gelatinous cube, we introduce the concept of marble is reflective when it's um, acid-cleaned. Yeah. In this room, they kill the gelatinous cube. Then later, we introduce the concept of the basilisk, and they're like, "Oh wait, there's a reflective room we could fight it in." Yeah. So, we what we definitely want is that for a challenge, we want all of this material to be available to the players, but we don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to like a hundred percent like hold their hand all the way through. No. We yeah. want it to be possible for them to figure it out, but we don't necessarily want it to be like, "Oh, you can only fight the uh, the basilisk in the mm-hmm. mirror room," and we're going to railroad you to that room so that you can do it properly. Yeah. Because that's not a fun scenario. And also, it doesn't actually, like, show the players that they're allowed to be creative, which is the ultimate yeah. end goal of what we're trying to do here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hmm. Okay. So... Well, th- I think we need to give them other, other options to defeat the Basilisk, then. I think we need to be able to find a room where there are heavy objects that can be dropped from a height. Yeah. I think there should there should definitely be a ballroom with a chandelier that's precariously balanced that they could lead mm. the basilisk into if they so desired. Maybe. Um, um, yeah, you know they need. But to... I think as long as we like add enough furniture to the room, uh, to, to, Absolutely. The room to, to like the uh, the actual setting, then yeah. any alternate um, answer that is sufficiently well thought out, Elaine would probably just be allowed to accept yeah. if they come up with Absolutely. oh you know. Um, during a description, we've heard that there was a chandelier. If we can drop that on the yeah. basilisk's head, then you know maybe we can yeah. kill it, kind of thing. I think also yeah. we want to be able to add um, help for if the group insist on taking the basilisk head on, like some sort Absolutely. of assistance for that. Um, I mean, definitely. I mean, obviously, you know, this is a school. There's definitely going to be a magic school. There's definitely going to be a room where there are potions and that there are like spell scrolls and stuff like that. Like these are going to be things that are going to be in a wizarding school anyway yeah okay yeah so we'll accept you know we'll accept that do, um, do we want to give the players stone to flesh because i feel like I mean, that kind of neutralizes the basilisk too much yeah i feel that's too easy isn't it i think maybe if you're like oh there's a wizard who does know stone to flesh in this campaign 
but they're on the top floor and he's barricaded himself in because he doesn't want to fight this basilisk because he's a coward. Mm. And then you can or kind maybe, of go, well, okay, I like, guess... we give you know, them um, one dose of a stone-to-flesh uh, balm, if you like. Yeah, yeah. And there's a wizard... Like, they, we give them evidence that there is a wizard who knows stone-to-flesh, yeah. but has been turned but to stone. But we don't know where... Yeah. Yeah, but yes, he's been turned to stone. So, like, obviously they need to get him first so that they can unstone to flesh everybody else. Yeah. Then, yeah, you know, like, like maybe that could be a, 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 an interesting, yeah. like, objective to have. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's like, oh, okay, so th- this there is this one guy who does know stone to flesh. If we free him, maybe he could get some of the other wizards together and then we can have, like, a small army of wizards and us to take this basilisk on. Yeah, yeah, you, you could like, do that. Like, that, that kind of thinking. Hmm. Or maybe they're like, we need to save this in order to help this wizard later on. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Or maybe they're like, we need to save this because one of us might get turned to stone and yeah. we need to be able to save them. And ideally, if we haven't used it by the end, we can save this wizard. But alternately, yeah. if we defeat all the threats here, we can leave and find somebody else who knows Stone to Flesh to come and save these uh, the people in the in the school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I feel Ofsted's going to come along eventually. And well, I, I was thinking out. that maybe that's the reason why um, <laughs> the uh, the players get sent to the school in the first place, is that, like... They're Ofsted. Well, I don't know that they're, they're, they're Ofsted, but rather that, like, um, the the school has... Uh, something that I did in a scenario called the Fortress of Carve Hill is that I made it that the reason yeah. why... Well, actually, this, this was not the reason why the party was sent there. Like, the party were actually part of the reason why this happened. But something you can do is, um, like, uh, communicatorily, the location has gone dark. Like, it hasn't yeah. responded to a mm. message that was sent to it or something of that sort. Probably, like, yeah, multiple yeah. messages, to be honest, before yeah. people get worried. Mm. So definitely that sort of thing. So um, they could me- actually may- maybe make it so that, like... Um, what kind of resources would a wizard school need to still import? Because they could probably just, like, magic up food and stuff. Mm. I suppose you could argue that they have... Um... Oh, what if What if uh, it's half term and none of the students <gasps> have actually come home? Oh, yeah! And what's more, the, uh, the, the, the wagon train or whatever that was sent to go and fetch them hasn't come back either. Yeah. Which means that all of the parents in like the the surrounding towns are worried because they're like yeah. the students not coming home is bad enough but we're pretty sure there's something dangerous out there if the wagon train hasn't come back mm, yeah oh man and i feel there's like this cool bit where like they're like the, the players arrive on a wagon train as well and they see the wagon train before and it's like completely off the rails and it's just got like all of these like basilisk sized holes in and stuff like that and there's like loads of like stone people on board it and stuff like that i feel like it might be like like, better if um like they get there and the wagon train is fine except all of the like um horses and handlers have been turned to stone yeah and it's like oh that's bad because that immediately tells you oh something something bad has happened here yeah, yeah, and you're like, oh, shit. And th- I think as well, they're like, okay, so are we fighting cockatrices? Are we fighting this? Are we fighting that? As- what are assuming we fighting? that they we fi- know anything anything about it. Yeah, or we have someone go, oh, shit, there's a Medusa around or something like that. So we go, no, that's too high level or whatever, you know. It's like, and there's like a yeah, big... Yeah, but they'd be like, oh, there might, it might be, though. We have to be careful. Yeah. All right. So I think it, you know, yeah. What, what, what else are we going to... Oh, because no, because a, a, a cockatrice is like half level so it might be a cockatrice yeah who knows yeah yeah 
What what else are we going to make them fight? Um, or at least put in there for I, them to fight. I quite like the idea of um, I like the idea of animated armor. To be honest with you, just because oh yeah, definitely. I, I like animated armor. I yeah. like animated armor um, too, and it's challenge rating one, and it fits the setting because like it, yeah. it, it's actually I love the idea of um, the first thing that the players have to fight is like the security system for the school, which thinks that they're yeah, breaking in. Yeah, yeah, because they technically are. Um, yeah, lots of flying swords and uh, anything else that I think they mm. use as like a security system. Well, hold on, I, I think a there's flying definitely... sword is actually like a, an actual like thing to fight though. Yeah, I know, well, well... I know, but it's like a half. It's like half challenge rating. Uh, it's not on the list of half challenge rating, is it? Oh, it's quarter challenge rating. Yeah. So you could have four yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. Four flying swords. Um, nice. Yeah. Um. I think there's definitely. I mean, definitely traps and stuff like that. If this is a magic school. Um, they've left the traps on and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I think there's definitely like a moment of rest when they meet um, some students who've been hiding out in the school um, using spells or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, maybe students, but maybe... Yeah. I was just thinking... Um, where are they? I was thinking like methods, maybe? Maybe. Because uh, yeah. like you'd think a wizard school probably would have methods. Just because mm. they like use them for stuff like methods or like imps or something. Yeah. Um, who? All right, methods are capricious imp-like creatures native to the elemental planes. They come in six varieties, but they don't tend to know common, which is unfortunate. I was thinking like maybe imps or something. Like definitely some sort of of capricious um, entity that. If the uh, the party chose to like try and um, induce it to give them information, might eventually tell them what was going on. Oh, here's a really cool idea. What if like the school has like a magical AI system? Go on. In a way, and it this is how it commu like communicates to the players what is going on and can give them a bit of information. And it's like a kind of like um like like I'm thinking like a supercomputer esque character. Like, I don't know, Gideon from Legends of Tomorrow or um, the supercomputer from Blake 7. You know, some, but like magical. Like the, like the magic mirror on the wall a little bit. Or in, if, in if we're running with the Harry Potter comparison, you could have like mm. the um, the characters in the portraits. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, kind of thinking like that. Yeah. Because I don't really like the idea of having like a central intelligence to the school just because... I don't like the idea of stuff still being organised enough that that's something that the players would have access to. Yeah, I, I like the idea of, like, we bring in the magic portraits from Harry Potter, actually. That's a yeah, good idea. Yeah, just have them, like, occasionally um, impart information, but sometimes be, like, too frightened yeah. or, or too capricious or too grumpy to, like, yeah. have that stuff come out immediately. Yeah. And I feel there's like a particularly likable, helpful one. That, and like, obviously, they can like travel into other paintings, like they can in Harry Potter. Yeah. I, I, I like that we're just stealing elements. It's a good from idea, though, Harry because Potter. it like helps yeah, to, to move the player along. And also, if they move around in, in paintings, it means that um, Elaine can like have them not turn up unless the players are really struggling. And yeah. have like one yeah. pass by and go, hmm, I can move from here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I could offer some help here. I know the I know the password to yeah. the Ravenclaw common room. I've I've heard it many times. Um, it wouldn't normally be uh, my place to impart it to you, but we're in dire straits at the moment. 
Yeah. Oh, um, I definitely feel. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, the imps are challenge yeah. level one, so we could have like summoned imps that might be. Uh, yeah. Might be able to tell the party that like um, that uh, there are like uh, um, no, there, there, there's a, a, a basilisk like in the school. You know what I'm thinking? You remember in Harry Potter there were those like monster books that like. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, yeah I, think, uh, I think I know where you're going with this. Go on. Well, I'm I'm looking at the page for mimics, and I'm thinking about those monster books, and I'm like, they're kind of the same thing in a way, like oh, like, like a yeah. dead, like, a semi deadly library full of those living books as a trap. I think would be good. Uh, mimics are challenge challenge level two, so I don't know that I'd necessarily want to put like yeah. more than one, but you could have like a trap that was like a lectern with one of those books on it, because I'm I'm yeah, yeah. always up for including uh, more. Uh, non chest mimics because I hate chest yeah, mimics yeah. so much. Have you have you seen the post of one where it's like um a uh different types of mimics for the modern era and it's stuff like um I think I have. It's like one of them is a phone or something. Yeah, yeah, the phone, and then like there's a tablet one, and he's like completely benign, but he like always like throws your tablet pen away. Mm. Oh, because he's a he's a graphics tablet. Yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Uh, like the the wooden box, like like the cardboard box one and stuff like that. Yeah, it's all good shit. I'd like to see a mimic that's like you know a food truck. Oh yeah, because they they could like yeah. lure with the with, with with the food then. The smell of fresh meats. Mm. But the fresh meats is actually humans it's eaten. The, these are all good ideas. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but they 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 don't work. In. Well, no, no. I, I mean, these are all good ideas. Like we should have. The uh, the cube. We should have the the lectern. Um, we should have the imps and the portraits, uh, and the the security system initially. So like we have the 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 security system be like in the front hall, be like armor, mm. and then after that like four flying swords, that kind of thing as they go further in. Mm. And then there'd be like a bunch of classrooms, I think, where you would fight like the uh, uh, the imps, and then like the library where most of the books are just books, but one on the lectern yeah. is a mimic. Yeah, kind of thing, and I think like you'd have to go upstairs to find the basilisk. So you, you, oh yeah, yeah, on the stairs you'd be passing like loads of petrified students and staff, right, to just yeah. drive home that this is what's happened. Yeah, and then, uh, and and then um, you you definitely could uh, have. Um, I I think what you what you'd want is then on on upstairs, like from the stairs, you'd want two rows of classrooms and the first one would have um uh the gelatinous cube in it and the like past that would have the basilisk which means yeah. that in the basilisk fight it's not too far to run to the gelatinous cube mm. and it also means that they're likely to run into the cube first yeah um which is i think really all the encouragement that you want to give yeah 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 that sounds right okay and then of course they go and they fight the basilisk yeah i i, I and i think um... that is actually probably fine uh, yeah. as because you don't need a huge amount for your first scenario as, as we say it, it should only no. only really be short yeah so they defeat this basilisk and then it's up to them whether they choose to like help everyone i think out. we'll say that the basilisk should probably be in the um transfiguration classroom which means that yeah. immediately after defeating the basilisk and searching that room they can find this um this balm for uh stone to flesh yeah and yeah. they would also know from like you could have like books being in here being like this is the transfiguration classroom maybe have like a blackboard with like a, a transfiguration like thing on it yeah. to make it explicitly clear that the frozen person in this room 
is a mm. person who probably knows Stone to Flesh and can save the yeah. rest of the... Uh, yeah, I, th- I think you could have conversations with the portraits as well. Like, oh, yeah. we tried to get Professor flumdy wummed mm. to, like, you know, but he was the first one to fall and stuff like yeah. that. And, and maybe have, like, the uh, maybe have like the imps in their classroom go, no, no, Professor Tweedletam doesn't know anything about Stone to Flesh. He knows about conjuration to summon us. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. You'd want Professor Flumdywum upstairs. <laughs> Flumdywum. <laughs> I don't know. We're just making these up, but but that's that's the thing. And, yeah, and yeah. I think really that's all that you need to have. This is a great idea. I think I think yeah, I yeah. think we've 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 hit it. Like put, yeah. put a put a stamp on I, that. Yeah, yeah. And and then like they free all the and the wizards are like, oh please stay for dinner, yeah. or, you know, and stuff like yeah. that. And like ah. Oh. Yeah, like ha- have and have then, that nice stuff at the end. Um, I'd say give them a reward, like maybe the. Uh, the the parents like the concerned parents like club together to uh, to give a yeah. uh, cash reward and maybe the uh, the school offers some scrolls or potions or something of the sort. Um, yeah, yeah. Just because if you're having your first scenario, you really want there to be a sort of disproportionately large reward to encourage the players. Uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely, because hey, they, yeah. they won their first victory. It's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I think we did it. Yeah, we did yeah. it. We did. We, we did it. I think we can put a stamp on that. Uh, I need to yeah, to let's, let's to go now, but I'm pretty happy with uh, with that. Yeah. Uh, as as an episode, I think we've we've done well here, and um, you can think, yeah. you can obviously do the same yourself. So thank you for joining us uh, mm-hmm. uh, here on. Uh, <laughs> oh, see now now <laughs> now I'm in trouble because that's how I end all my streams. So I want to say like bath time with a scrub lord, but it's not bath time with a scrub lord. It's house of bards. Uh, that's, uh-huh, that's which contains two scribblards, uh, not one scribblard. It's, it's true. Um, so <laughs> it's true. Uh, my name is Alex. My co-host's name is Beth. You can contact us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Twitch at uh, Baroness mm-hmm. Banff for Beth and Cleaver mm-hmm. Crumish for me. Those are both spelled down in the description. I will include a credit in the description also for whoever the uh, background image is and for Kevin McLeod who did the music. Um, and until next time, which should probably be next week because you said you're free next Wednesday. Uh, hopefully, I don't know what we're doing next week, but we'll definitely. Well, you, you came up with done. a whole load of, of um, new uh, topics that are in the tank now, so we'll have something to do. Oh uh, yeah, well. Uh, so yeah. yes, um, until next week. Uh, goodbye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. I should see if my mum still has the uh, the story that she wrote when she did um, creative writing like a couple of years ago um, that she wrote about the gunpowder plot succeeding. Oh, God. Because, like, after that, like, everything changes. Yeah, because you just... It's like... It's stuff like... Um, God, what, what did I read once? But it was somewhere where this one event in American history had turned out differently and then it had completely changed America as we know it today. Mm. And instead of being the allies in World War Two, they were with, like, the, you know, Axis and stuff like that. Not like as like, nah, just like, oh, no, we're on, you know, just like all the shit that went wrong. I just, I like fiction. I don't know why I like fiction like that because it's, it's like, horrible, but... Mm. I guess it's just like, oh, yeah, you can really see how things can go tits up really easily, I guess. Yeah. And now, but I, I don't really need that fiction nowadays because we live in uh, young adult dystopia anyway, so it's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's fine.